Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from ECRI, the most trusted voice in healthcare, committed to advancing effective, evidence-based care. I'm your host, Paul Anderson, and for more than 10 years, I've overseen our patient safety, risk, and quality membership programs here at ECRI. Tens of thousands of healthcare leaders rely on us as an independent, trusted authority to improve the safety, quality, and cost-effectiveness of care across all healthcare settings worldwide. You can learn more about our unique capabilities to improve outcomes at www.ecri.org. Today's episode is recorded in conjunction with the release of ECRI's top 10 patient safety concerns for 2022. This year's number one entry focuses on staffing shortages and the dangers they pose to both patients and staff. Our guest is the 36th president of the American Nursing Association, which was founded in 1896 and represents the interests of the nation's 4.3 million registered nurses. The ANA has members in all 50 states, as well as U.S. territories, and its work focuses on leading the nursing profession to shape the future of nursing and healthcare. So to get us started, I'll ask our guest to introduce himself. Well, thank you very much, Paul. Delighted to be here. I'm Dr. Ernest Grant. Uh, I'm proud to say that I'm the uh, 36th president of the American Nurses Association and just uh, delighted to be here with you today. So, uh, Dr. Grant, I mentioned that, you know, ANA has members in every state throughout U.S. territories. Can you just describe a little bit more what, you know, ANA's mission and work are? Certainly. Uh, well, as you mentioned, ANA is the premier uh, nursing organization for all registered nurses within the United States, uh, representing the interest of the nation's 4.3 million registered nurses. Uh, we do that in a number of ways, uh, mainly though by setting uh, you know, high standards, uh, practice um, uh, accountability, uh, you know, promoting uh, obviously uh, safety for, for nurses and uh, also for the public. Uh, this is one of the things I think a lot of people fail to realize is that ANA also strongly advocates for the health of the public as well, because Having a healthy public is our, you know, is our uh, number one objective. So uh, that's pretty much it in the nutshell. So we at ECRI, we named uh, staffing shortages broadly as the year's top patient safety concern. Uh, I'm sure this is something that you've thought a lot about at ANA as well. <laughs> so um, could you explain a little bit about ANA's, you know, sort of thoughts and position on uh, the issue of nurse staffing shortages particularly? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, let me say that the ANA is very deeply concerned about the staffing shortages. Uh, you know, we need a very robust and prepared nursing workforce in order to meet the demands of healthcare today. And one of the things that uh, we're seeing, though, is un unfortunately, is that uh, as the uh, the pandemic continues. Uh, it's putting more and more stress on uh, on nurses and on the, the healthcare system in general, and uh, you know, for some people, it seems like there's no end in sight. Uh, so, as a result of that, uh, you know, a, a lot of nurses are choosing to uh, either you know take time out. I, I wouldn't say that they've totally left the profession. I would say that probably they have left uh, the specific job that they may be in in uh, healthcare to have that uh, not only the physical break, but also the mental break as well that is needed when you've worked constantly for, you know, going on almost three years now. Um, a lot of them report back to me that, you know, they're only getting like one day off a week uh, to be able to get at least a 15 or 20 minute break during a 12 hour shift, uh, which isn't really a 12 hour shift, it's now a 13 <laughs> or 14 hour shift. 
you know, you can imagine the toll that that uh, that really takes on uh, a person. So, um, and and as a result of that too, it's the public that loses out because when you've got uh, nurses who are very tired, both mentally and physically, we're not able to do the advocating for the the uh, the patient and the public that we normally would be able to to do. So uh, so. That way, the um, you know that's what I mean when I say this: the public that is is losing out is that you have a uh, you know a, a workforce that is you know just extremely exhausted, and you know the things that we normally do or are very keen on doing, well, we may not be as uh, uh, ready to be able to do that. You know, you mentioned, gosh, I sort of cringe when you mentioned we're all we're we're all we're coming in our third year of COVID, mm -hmm. um, but. I mean, staffing shortages were an issue before that too, right? This isn't yes. like something new with COVID. So what was sort of the, the pre-COVID situation and, and how do we know, is it in a measurable way, do we know how COVID's made it worse? I assume COVID made everything worse. So I assume COVID yeah. made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually COVID just exacerbated something that's been going on for years and years. You know, I've been a nurse now for what, about 43, 44 years. Uh, and every year there's always been a nursing shortage. Several things have driven that, um, you know, uh, what has happened, but, you know, either not enough nurses graduating from nursing school or, you know, people such as myself, one of the, some of the more recent, uh, you know, reasons for the shortage, um, you know, you have people like myself who are, you know, the uh, baby boomers who are reaching retirement age. So, you know, uh, to have such a large, uh, group of people retire on, on a yearly basis. Uh, and then also you can say the expansion of healthcare, you know, with innovations and in technology, healthcare is no longer just completely centered in the acute care setting. It's going out into the communities, it's going out into long-term care and et cetera. So uh, with that too, that's have has created an increased demand for more nurses. But when you have all the schools of nursing, whether it's a community college, whether it's a diploma program, whether it's a university program, probably totally um, graduating about maybe 250,000 nurses a year, um, you know, that's not enough to match the, uh, the needs or the individuals who are retiring. So those are some of the things that are contributing to the, uh, the shortage. But then, as we said, COVID just exacerbated that even more because of the increased need for nurses as nurses themselves got sick um, and their, uh, their colleagues got sick. Uh, you know, it's like, sort of like the domino effect. And uh, so that created an even uh, more increased uh, shortage. Is there an issue? I'm just thinking that, you know, you mentioned, okay, we've got about 250,000 nurses graduating each year. And if, if that's not even replacement level, mm -hmm. but we actually need more than replacement level, we need to be yes. growing the nursing workforce. That seems like a, a really perilous situation. Yes, it does. And that's one of the things that ANA has advocated for uh, uh, with the uh, both the, the current impasse administrations uh, is that more funding needs to be put towards nursing education. Uh, you know, not only, you know, one of the things that we have done or community colleges uh, and also university settings have tried to do is admit students every semester, whereas before traditionally you just had one class graduating every year in May. Now we have students who are graduating in both May and December. You have 
schools that are extending uh, what we call an accelerated program, where instead of going through the whole four year, if you already have a baccalaureate degree, you can uh, you know go for usually probably about two years and uh, and and still graduate with a, a baccalaureate degree, but that still is not meeting the demands as we talked about. So uh, you know asking for more funding for not only for faculty because you know if the average age of the nurse at the bedside is about 55 years of age you can imagine what the average age of faculty may be so uh and there just isn't a, enough room to, uh, for that so faculty um you know more classrooms and also more clinical sites because you know obviously the the key to uh, you know, becoming a registered nurse is that you've got to get in a certain amount of hours of clinicals. And uh, if you, uh, you know, have uh, more than one class uh, per year that you're graduating, say if the average school has about 80 students, then, uh, you know, per graduating class, then that's 160 slots that they need to fill to get at least, uh, you know, an average of about uh, 500 uh, clinical hours. So um, you can imagine that that's going to be quite uh, uh, quite a challenge. Yeah, they've got to have a location that's willing to have them come in and do their clinical, uh, do their clinical work through their throughout their education. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so you mentioned, you know, advocating for, for increased funding. And then that leads me to there was a call to action that we sent that ANA sent to um, the Secretary of the Department of, of Health and Human Services, HHS, uh, mm -hmm. looking for some immediate action. So what were some of the other sort of sort of top level points that, that you wanted to drive home in that letter to HHS. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned that letter because the goal of that letter was to get the secretary to uh, declare the, the shortage that we're experiencing now a national crisis. You know, whereas before the, the, uh, the shortages prior, we could probably try to work out, you know, do some workarounds, if you will. You know, we could, uh, <clears throat> you know, do foreign recruitment of nurses, you know, nurses coming from the Philippines, from Canada, you know, places like that. But with the pandemic, every country needs their nurse. So you can't rob Peter to pay Paul, even though that's, you know, that's happening, but that's creating a shortage in the, the other countries as well, which is, is not fair. So the, the purpose of that letter was to get the secretary to declare a national crisis, encourage him to bring all the entities together, both government, public and private, to work on short and long-term solutions for how can we address this, uh, you know, this shortage. This is something that we as nurses cannot solve on our own. We've got to have all the players in the game to come to the table and talk about solutions and how they will work. And I think the, uh, you know, the biggest portion of that call to action is the fact that nurses needing to be at the table where those decisions are made so that uh, you know they recognize the value that we as nurses bring to the table and not just be treated as a commodity, if you will, to move here, there, and et cetera, uh, but to actually have our voices heard and feel valued. I think if you ask the average nurse now that is um, you know that is working at the bedside, Yes, they want the increased pay, but they also want to feel valued for what they are bringing to the uh, the table. In a lot of situations, that's not uh, necessarily happening. So, uh, so that was pretty much the uh, the main reason for that. And we outlined some solutions 
uh, that we thought should um, you know should be addressed as well. You know, such as you know for the advanced practice nurse to remove some of those restrictions that uh, you know that are placed to uh, well not only for the advanced practice nurse but just nurses in general. You know, there are actually some states that um, will uh, uh, restrict or limit. Um, what the uh, the nurse who is at the bedside is capable of doing, you know, they've been educated and trained how to do this, but still there's a, a restriction that says, you know, you can't do this or, uh, you know, this, do this particular procedure. And, uh, you know, it's things like that that is really, uh, you know, creating a, uh, uh, you know, I guess you'd call it a, a backlog or, or, you know, or situations where uh, we could work more efficiently uh, and uh, a lot, a uh, lot easier if those restrictions were removed. Um, what, what are some examples of maybe some other solutions that were in that, that call to action if we haven't covered them already? Well, part of it was, you know, again, uh, you know, you know, putting more funding towards nursing education, obviously, um, you know, and uh, creating more opportunities for people, uh, you know, to who want to become a nurse uh, to, uh, you know, be able to, to do that. One of the things that I've done, and that was one of my goals when I first became president of the ANA, was to increase the diversity uh, and also the, uh, the the representation of minorities uh, within the nursing profession. And one of the ways to do that is to start, um, uh, well, I would go into second and third grade classes and talk with young boys and girls about the possibility of considering nursing as a profession, because by the time you, you know, they're in junior high or high school, it's too late. You know, their, their minds are already made up, um, you know, but to, to let them know that as a nurse, you take the same STEM courses that that person who wants to be a rocket scientist or that person who wants to be a pharmacist or a doctor or whatever, uh, but, uh, you know, the joy about being a nurse is that you are there with that patient from the cradle to the grave, you know, the, uh, you know, you're able to uh, use your skills to help that person, you know, get better. And uh, to me, there's no other joy than, uh, than doing that. So by opening up those opportunities for uh, for diversity, for the uh, the BIPOP community, uh, you know, and in, in places where uh, are making it easier for students to repay loans, uh, you know, as a possibility or loan forgiveness. Uh, these are some of the uh, the things that we have suggested uh, uh, along with other things such as a, uh, you know, having a safe work environment um, uh, and even nurses who want to go back for if you have an associate or a diploma, if you want to go back for your baccalaureate or master's or, or doctorate, making it easier for them to be able to do that as well and incorporate, you know, technology and innovations as well that makes it easier for a person to be able to, uh, you know, who want to become a nurse to be able to, to do that as well. So that that leads me to to um, I think one of the other really important questions here is you know there's a, there's a role for the government right there what what is the role of an individual a health system a provider organization so you touched on one right provide a safe work environment that's not government can't make that happen but if I'm running a hospital I can make I can work towards that what are some other things a, a provider organization can do. Well, yeah, let's let's talk, if you don't mind, I'd like to expand a little bit more on the, the safe work environment thing, because one of the things we're hearing now from nurses as well is that they're being, um, you know, both physically and verbally abused, uh, you know, by patients, patients' families, even their co-workers. And we know that as part of it is the uh, the environment in which we're in. Everyone is tired of this virus. We're, you know, so our uh, we're, we're on edge very much uh, uh, quicker than perhaps we, we would be under 
under uh, you know, pre-COVID circumstances. But one of the things that a nurse needs to know is that their employer has their back. So when they do report you know, such situations, um, they need to know that there's a system in place that they can go to to report it, first of all, and number two, that the employer is going to uh, quickly address that particular situation so that, uh, you know, they feel supported. You know, nothing's worse than going into work and, you know, feel like you're going to the, the front of a battlefield, but someone, you know, that your, your colleagues don't have your back. So, you know, that's, that's not a good situation. Also, uh, stopping bullying in the, the workplace environment is uh, a, another uh, extreme situation. And of course, you know, utmost is uh, we need to increase nursing salaries, um, you know, so that, uh, again, they feel valued, not only, uh, you know, for the service that they bring, but they're rewarded for that by having an increased pay, uh, but also, you know, uh, valued in the, the way that the employer, you know, maybe walks around and, you know, and just have a chat with them, you know, do an environmental scan. What's going on with you today? How are you doing? Or being able to pick up on that nurse who may be having, uh, you know, maybe some physical or mental issues. And we need to be able to address that before it reaches a breaking point to where that person may, uh, you know, either, you know, God forbid, but, you know, we have cases where, you know, healthcare um, providers have, you know, committed suicide. And as people look back on that, and they look for those little subtle clues and says, yeah, that was a cry for help that I failed to pick up on. So if we can, you know, begin to identify those particular situations, those are some of the ways too that we can help uh, in, in those environments. So I always, <clears throat> we've touched on a lot of things that, you know, can happen at a lot of levels. And I always like to wrap up by asking, What's the starting point if I'm particularly, particularly if I'm running an organization, I mean, you talked about, you know, creating a safe workplace, just being visible as a leader in the organization, right? Um, we can't solve all this uh, before the weekend starts, we're recording on a Friday, so I'm not going to have this yes. fixed by tomorrow morning. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm a leader in an organization, what is the starting point that I can do right after lunch today? If I was the, uh, the leader, one of the things I, I, I still think, you know, being able to, to do like those walking rounds, you know, checking on the environment, you know, what are you hearing um, and responding to what you're hearing. Uh, you know, it's, it's nothing worse than to hear reports from those that, uh, that are your direct reports that this is going on and that's going on and to turn a deaf ear but to address it because obviously usually that's the sign of a, of a larger problem or at least a growing problem that if you don't address it now, it's going to uh, really come back to, uh, you know, to, to, to be a, a much larger problem. So I, I think, you know, doing those environmental walking rounds or having those town halls to, uh, you know, and uh, encouraging your nurses to be able to speak up and, and know that um, not only are we hearing your concerns, but also addressing your concerns. And, you know, that's one thing you, you really get the, uh, uh, the admiration and the confidence of the individual when they can see the results of, if I said this is a problem and you've addressed it, then, you know, I know you've got my back uh, rather than just, you know, thinking of the individual as a, a warm body to provide care for 12 hours or 14 hours and, you know, and, and that's it. You really need to show the individual how much you value what they bring to the table. 
creating that, that virtuous cycle, right? Of you yes. tell me something, I do something about it. Now you're going to tell me more because you yes. see that I'm going to do something about it and right. just keep building that up. Absolutely. And encourage them to, you know, to be able to, to be part of the solution as well. Because sometimes as uh, administrators, we don't have all the answers, but it certainly doesn't hurt to flip the, uh, the script, if you will, and say, well, what would you do in this uh, particular situation? How would you handle that? Because uh, again, those who are closest to the problem, sometimes they can see uh, you know, uh, more uh, clearly you know, what the problem may be or, or a solution that perhaps we haven't thought about in the C-suite. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have? No, not that I can think of. I really have enjoyed this, and uh, you know, I you know hope those who are listening uh, that there's some some really great takeaways that they uh, they may be able to to use to uh, make their work environment that much better, that much safer. Dr. Grant, thanks so much. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Learn more about ECRI and the top 10 patient safety concerns for 2022 at the ECRI website at www.ecri.org. The report features staffing shortages as its top issue. You can find out more about the American Nurses Association at www.ana.org. Be sure to subscribe to Smart Healthcare Safety on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts to get our latest episodes. We welcome your feedback. Visit us at ecri.org or email us at ecri-podcasts at ecri.org.